the sermon outline there if you want to follow that and uh, most of the verses we're going to look at this morning is there printed for you. <clears throat> we're talking about mastering the Christian life this morning. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about what it takes to become a master of something? Uh, whether it is, you know, playing a sport or, um, you know, building a house or doing a business or developing a skill. You know, what does it take to become a master of something? It is not that a master of anything can do something that you do, or you or I can't do. It is that the master does something almost anyone can do, but does it so much better than the rest of us. For example, um, I love playing golf. And um, let me show you a picture of me playing golf there. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> I can hit a golf ball uh, to a respectable distance, even though I haven't played golf for, I don't know, for many years. I'm not sure whether I can do as much as I used to do before. But I think, you know, if you put me on the golf course, I can. I can actually hit the ball reasonably well, I think. But let me show you my opposition here. That is Jason Day. Have you heard of him? Oh, well, look, we look like, isn't it? <laughs> but Jason there is, is, is a world champion. He's, he's an Aussie, but he's a world champion. And if he plays the game, he can hit the ball with more power and precision than I ever will. Because he's a champion, he's a master. It's not that he's playing a different game than me. We could both be swinging the same club and playing the same course, but he will get through the 18 holes much faster than I will. Because when I play, I spend most of my time looking for the ball in the long grass, just like this. <laughs> That's the thing about mastery. It is not that masters are doing things that no one can do. It is that they spend many hours in training and practicing their skills. And uh, that's why, you see, he gets that, and I'm still carrying my golf buggy and, uh, you know, still looking for my ball in the, in the grass. Um, it is the same way I believe in the Christian life. Those who excel in Christian life excel not because they can do spiritual things that no one else can do, but because they do spiritual things with consistency, with commitment, with dedication, and with discipline. Masters are masters because they master the basics. They master the basics. In the same way, we never outgrow our need for basics in the Christian life. Some people say, oh, and I want to have lots of head knowledge. I want to, you know, get the Bible on my head, and, you know, I want to really understand the whole thing. But the thing is, what they do is, they have a head knowledge, but they don't know how to actually practice the basic things in their life. So basic Christian things they neglect. And so they may have head knowledge, but they don't have the hard knowledge of how to relate to other people, how to forgive other people, how to work with God on a daily basis. Now, we come into the Christian life only one way. That is faith in Jesus Christ. This is what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. 
This is how we move into the Christian life, and it is also how we move up in Christian life. And so when Paul wrote to his letter to the church in Galatia, uh, he told them, we will never outgrow our need for God's grace in our lives. And this is what he said. Listen to Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. After beginning by the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? What he is trying to say is that just as we are saved by the grace and the mercy of God, we must also grow by the grace and mercy of God. What I'm trying to say is there is no shortcut to spiritual maturity. There is no shortcut. There's no, you know, mantra that we can use or there is no, you know, um, you know certain, you know, uh, points that we can apply in our life suddenly we become mature Christians. No. It involves just practicing and practicing, practicing the basic things of Christian life. Um, you see, when I first learned to play golf, um, I was pastoring a church, and most of the people in my church at that time was probably, you know, maybe just over 65 or 70. Most of them were retired people. And so I was, you know, I was young, and um, I was about 35 or something at that time. And so people in that in my congregation, one of the guys said, look, you know, have you ever played golf? I said, no, I never, I don't know how to play golf. He said, let me take you out and teach you how to play golf. And so he spent a lot of time with me teaching how to play golf. And so, um, and some basic things that he said to me, I'll never forget. He said, when you play golf, he said, your posture is very important, the way you stand. You know, you can't just go and stand and just hit the ball. You have to stand a certain way. And you know, it took me a long time to stand a certain way. Then he said, you have to keep, the, keep your eyes on the ball. You can't just, because many times when I hit, the ball is still there. The dirt is actually flying. Uh, because I didn't know. I thought it was so simple to play. But when I learned the skill, as, after taking so much practice, then I kind of understood, you know, this is a difficult game. It's not an easy game to play golf. So, we are in a series called How to Make a Difference. In this series, we are looking at various passages from the book of Acts. And today we will look at just one verse that tells us what we need to do in order to master the Christian life. If you can get a firm handle on these fundamental concepts uh, in your Christian life, I can guarantee you that you will make a huge difference, not only in your own life, but also in the lives of people around you. So this is very important. This is basic, but this is very important that if you can understand this concept, these three things that we're going to talk about, if you can apply that in your Christian life, I can guarantee you that your life will be totally different. So here's the story leading up to today's verse. In the very early days of the Christian church, uh, Peter and John, two of the disciples, went to the temple to pray in one afternoon, and uh, they saw this crippled man sitting outside the gate and begging for money. So he asked some money to um, Peter and John, and, uh, and this is what Peter said to him. I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Get up and walk. Um, and then Peter took the man by the hand, raised him to his feet, and he was healed. The Bible said this man went through the temple courtyard, walking and leaping and praising God. I mean, that's something not many people have seen before. Obviously, this miracle drew a large crowd. 
People really wanted to know what, what happened to this guy because they knew this guy was sitting there all the time. Now he's walking and leaping and jumping and praising the Lord. So the crowd began to build. And so Peter took this opportunity to preach the sermon, a sermon. In the sermon, he told his listeners about Jesus. And he said to them the same, he said, the same Jesus who was put to death just a you know, few days ago, and he said, he's now risen from the dead, and he is Lord. He is Lord. And he said, it is through his power that this man has been healed. You know, he wanted to make sure that people understood that it was not the power of Peter or John. You know, they didn't have any kind of miraculous healing power. It is simply because he used the name of Jesus Christ, and it is Jesus Christ who, who healed this man. And then Peter gave an invitation to them to accept the new way of life, to experience a new kind of relationship with God, a relationship not based on the Old Testament you know, law of doing things, but based on the life, death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is how Peter closed the, his message and made his appeal to them. If you look at verse 19, this is his conclusion of this message. He said, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Now, this one verse reveals three basic steps that we need to master in order to become an effective follower of Jesus Christ. Three words represent the fundamental concepts of Christian living. My friends, you may have heard this many, many times, but I'm saying this to you because this is very important. This is many of the Christians that don't follow this one. So if you can apply this in your life on a daily basis, not just once in a year or once, once in a while, but if you can apply this on a daily basis, I can guarantee you that you can become a master of Christian life. Okay, the first word is what? Repentance. Repentance. The very first thing Peter said, repent. Now, unfortunately, most people don't know what repentance really is. You may have seen some guy standing on the, you know, the streets in Sydney you know, with a sandwich board and said, repent. You know, and people think, you know, people get scared of that when they see that. What does that mean? Or even some Christians don't get it when they see the word repentance. Some people think that the, to repent means to feel guilty. Sorry for your sin. Yeah, though that is part of it, that is not the full meaning of repentance. Now, let me just bring this original word in the, in the Greek language which the New Testament was written. The Greek word for repentance is, is a word called metanoia. Metanoia. Now, it is a compound word meaning literally to change your mind or change your attitude. To change your mind or change your attitude. I had a look at the expository dictionary of biblical words, which tells us to repent is to make a decision that changes the direction of your life. To make a decision in your life that would change the direction of your life. Now, let me give an example from my own life. Uh, many years ago, uh, when I was pastoring in the eastern suburb, I was in a rush to go. I was fairly new, and I was rushing to go to, to my church to preach, and I was thinking about nothing but my sermon, what I should be preaching, what I should be saying, all that. And unfortunately, I got into a, a wrong street. It's a one-way street, and I was driving in the wrong direction. Um, I, I didn't realize at that time. I, I don't know, maybe my stupidity, I didn't realize. And uh, as I was driving, and I see some cars were coming straight at me, you know, driving towards me. Then suddenly realize I'm, I'm actually on the wrong, wrong street. I should have been on the other side of the road. And um, 
you know, I was really panicking. I thought, Mel, I was worried about I may not be able to deliver the sermon that day because, you know, either I could be dead or I would be actually in jail. Somebody might ring the cops and they might be chasing me around. And so, you know, because I'm on the wrong road. And uh, suddenly I realized that. And what I did, I um, quickly waited for an opportunity so I could turn around and go back the right way. Now, it's repentance is like that sometimes. You know, we, we, you know, we all of us know that those who repented, those who became Christians, you know that, that you have been going in the wrong direction in your life. For me, I was like that. When I was a teenager, I was completely heading the wrong direction. I, I thought that's the best way to enjoy life. But then somebody actually shared the gospel with me and told me, this is not the way to, you know, to go. And so I repented and I, I turned around and I took a new direction in my life. And many of you are sitting here, I'm sure that you have done it some point in your life. But also let me say this, people think that repentance is just a, just a one-off thing. It is a one-off thing. Um, but I believe that repentance is not just a one-time experience, it is a daily experience. Each and every day of your life, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you those things in your life that need to change. Uh, it means that every day you take responsibility for your attitudes and your action and be willing to do something to change it. All of us, I don't know about you, but for me, I make a lots of blunder. I make lots of mistakes. I do a lot of wrong things in my life. And I have to, on a daily basis, I have to examine my heart and say, Lord, you know, did I do something wrong? Did I, did I do something that is not right in my life? Did I say something to somebody that was not the right thing to say? You know, so I had to keep on examining my heart on a daily basis and ask for God's forgiveness on a daily basis. That's what called repentance is. It is a daily experience of, you know, uh, understanding there is that you are going in the wrong direction and then you need to change that direction. You know, that's what repentance is. The second word that we want to look at this morning is the word reconciliation. The word reconciliation. Reconciliation simply means bringing back together again. Uh, the Bible says, our sin separated us from God, but Jesus Christ brought us back to God by paying the price for our sin. We all know that, isn't it? The reconciliation is based on forgiveness. Peter said in verse 19, turn to God so that your sin may be wiped out. Now that word wiped out literally means erased. That's what it means, erased. That's how God forgives our sin. He erases all your sin and give you a clean slate to start a new life. You know, some of us, we had lots and lots of stuff on, on, on the slate. And, uh, and one day God comes and says, you know, you don't need to focus on all the wrong things that you have done in your life. I'm going to wipe clean this one. I'm going to give you a new slate. I'm going to give you a new life. And you can, you know, go forward with that. And look at this verse. Let's read this verse together. It's a, it's a, it's a common verse that we often looked at it, but let's read this together. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Let's read together. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If you have an outline, just circle that word, all. Because all unrighteousness, not just some of them, but every sin that we have committed in our lives, that Jesus Christ said, he will purify us. He will cleanse us. 
He will wipe out. He will erase those sins from our lives. God's forgiveness is total and complete, my friends. And it is more than just having your past sins crossed out. It is about being brought back into a reconciled relationship with God the Father. That is the reason Jesus came. You know, he came to seek and save the lost, the Bible says. He came to this world looking for us because we wandered away from God. We went away from the presence of God because of our sin. And God said, I want to bring you back to God. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ has done for. He brought us into a reconciled relationship with God. Now, I want you to look at this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 to 19 says, look at this verse. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting men's sins against them. This is what Christ did for us. He reconciled us back to God and then he also given us the ministry of reconciliation. So we can go out and share this amazing message of the gospel and reconcile people back to God. So there need to be two things that need to happen for all of us. That is, we need to have that vertical relationship with God, that's reconciliation with God, then we need to have this horizontal relationship, this horizontal reconciliation with other people. You can never go around and say, I love God so much, but I hate people. And that's what many times we do that. You know, many times in our attitude, that's what we do. You know, we love God, we are happy to sing songs, we're happy to read God's word, we're happy to you know, debate the Bible and all those things. But, you know, we can't get along with other people. And God says, that is not good. Because he said, if you say, if you love God, and then you don't like other people, then you are a liar, the Bible says. There's no truth in what you're saying, says. So we need to constantly examine, am I reconciled with God? And is that reconciliation actually flows from my life into the other people that I work with, or that I live with, my friends, my families, and all those people. Is there a reconciled relationship that I, I practice? If not, that we have to examine that. So, um, we need God's forgiveness, and we also need to walk in the forgiveness with other people. Ephesians chapter 4 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ uh, God forgive you. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, the, you know, the Bible says, we forgive other people because Christ has forgiven us. And let me say this. Sometimes people come to me and say, look, you know, I don't think I can ever forgive this person. This person hurt me so deeply in my life. I don't know I can ever forgive this person. And I said to that person, you will never have to forgive somebody more than God has forgiven you. You'll never have to forgive anybody more than God has forgiven you. Because God has forgiven you so much in your life. You know, the Bible says that while we were still sinners, that Jesus Christ came and died for our sin. He paid the price for our sins so that we can be reconciled to God. So we need to learn to forgive other people when other people offend us. So every day we need to face the forgiveness issue in our lives. Is there any sin in my life that I need to confess? Sin that is hindering my walk with Christ. Is there any sin in my life that is creating problems in my relationship with my spouse, my kids, my co-workers, my friends, my family? And is there anyone that I need to forgive? 
people who offended me, did I forgive those people? Am I holding any grudge against anyone? And this has to become part of our daily living, my friends. This is not, you know, one-time thing. God reconciled us. This is an everyday thing that we need to do. We need to examine our heart on a daily basis. Say, is there anyone that I haven't forgiven in my life? The third word we want to look at this morning is the word refreshing. Refreshing. Now, this is what Peter said. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You know, I love that phrase, times of refreshing. That is what the spiritual life is all about, isn't it? You know, it refreshes us, renews us, you know, rejuvenates us. You know, as Christians that we spend time with God, you know, it, it can be seen in our life, it can be seen on our face. You know, we don't have to walk around as though we just got baptized in lemon juice, you know, because, you know, that's what some people, you know, they just can't, they just can't rejoice, they just can't smile because, you know, there is no, uh, no way that they experience the joy of the Lord in their heart. There's so much stuff going on in their life. Um, but that's what God wants for his people to, that they live life refreshed. How do we get refreshed? Well, the way this verse is translated in the New King James Version, make it very clear. It says, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's how we are refreshed, my friends. When we spend time in God's presence, praying and meditating on God's word, that we get refreshed. Now, I would imagine that everyone here today knows what it is like to be spiritually and emotionally dry. To feel like you, your tank is empty and you've got nothing left in you. Well, I have gone through that experience in my life, so I'm sure that, you know, many others here would have gone through that experience. If you're not careful, you can fall into the trap of living your entire life always on empty. Always on empty. You know, on the dashboard of your car, this warning light flashes when the fuel is down. Have you ever had that experience? Okay. I remember one time I was driving with another guy who was driving and I was in the car and we were just coming out of a conference and we had a long way to travel to Sydney. And on the way, and I see that, you know, the sign, the fuel tank is coming empty and the red light was started kind of flashing. And I said to the guy, uh, I think we should stop and get some petrol on the way, mate, otherwise you may not make it, you know. He said, oh, don't worry, mate, I've done this many, many times, you know, it's not, no, no problem, you know. We just keep going, you know. And, you know, a few petrol stations passed and keep on saying to him, no, mate, you know, I can do another 10 kilometers, you know. He was just kind of, didn't care. Guess what? <laughs> I'm the one who had to go and carry, you know, the petrol in a little can just to get back home. Um, many times, I guess that's what we know that our tank is empty or getting empty, but we still say, ah, oh, yeah, no worries, I can go a bit more time. I can, I can manage my life. I don't really need the Lord in my life. I don't need to spend time with God, you know. I, I'll manage it. I'll manage it. How many of us have done that? I tell you, I've done it many times, and I say, how foolish it is. 
when you know that it is a time to stop and refill. Otherwise you will get stuck like I and my friend. He's not a friend anymore now. <laughs> Sorry, I was talking about forgiveness, so I should do practice. <laughs> so, you need to fill your spiritual tank. And uh, we do that by spending time in the presence of God, in God's presence. And just like repentance and reconciliation, this is not a one-time experience, you know, refreshing. It is an everyday event. It is an essential part of victorious living. We need to do that. And, uh, and it doesn't matter how we do it. For me, it is I have to get up very early in the morning and spend time with God because I know once the day comes, I get so busy. I get so many phone calls and so many issues that I have to deal with as a pastor. So for me, it is 4 o'clock in the morning. That's the time I get up in the morning. And I, you know, I just made it a habit. It's not a burden for me to get up in the morning. I don't have to, you know, break my alarm clock or anything like that. I accept that this is, you know, it's part of, you know, just my, my clock, you know, always, you know, I don't need a clock anymore. I just wake up uh, for a clock. And I found that it's a very precious time for me to spend time alone with God. I have no disturbance from anybody else. I don't get a phone call. I don't have anybody bothering me. And I, you know, for me, that is very important for me to do that. For you, it may be different. Maybe for, maybe for your lunchtime or maybe it's in the evening before you go to bed. I don't care when you do it. It doesn't have any particular time frame on it. But all I'm saying is that there is a time that you really need to, on a daily basis, you know, refill your spiritual life. You know, the tank that is getting empty. And, you know, that's probably why the, this model in the life of Jesus Christ. You know, when you read that, I'll just give you one verse here. The Bible says, in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, he says, Jesus often withdrew to a lonely places and prayed. So he, you know, he was, people were gathering around him all the time. And, uh, and so he had to sometimes go to a lonely place. Uh, and also the Bible says that Jesus also woke up early in the morning and, and went and prayed. So it doesn't matter how you do it. What I'm trying to say is that you really need to be refreshed on a daily basis. And you can't blame anybody else for that. You can't say, oh, you know, my kids are, you know, giving me trouble or my wife is always demanding or whatever maybe." But you really need to take responsibility for your action and say, I'm going to set aside some time to be refreshed in the presence of God. Spending time in the presence of God refreshes your spirit like nothing else, my friends. Very important that, you know, that many of us neglect this. So, so if you want to become an effective Christian, if you want to master the Christian life, you need to master the basics of Christian life. We need to make it a daily endeavor to attend these three basic things. Let me just, uh, let's do just a bit of a review of that, uh, the, the three things. Uh, repentance, have a look at that. This means that every day I take responsibility for changing what needs to be changed in my attitude, in my action. Reconciliation means that every day I seek God's forgiveness so that I can live in harmony with Him and I extend His forgiveness to other people so that we can all live in harmony with each other. And refreshing means 
that every day I spend time alone with God in prayer and in meditating God's word so that I may experience times of refreshing in his presence. So in conclusion, let me say this. You know, we're talking about making a difference in the world. You know, leaving a legacy behind. And let me say this. You can't make your mark in the world until God has made his mark on you. Let me say that again. You can't make your mark in the world until God has made his mark on you. And he does this by his grace and by his mercy one day at a time as we seek his face. Let us pray.